Hi, I'm Katie, a newly qualified attorney navigating the T's and C's of life living in Cape Town, South Africa. Join me every second week where I chat about various aspects of the law that you thought you didn't need to know, but now you do. Welcome to Flawed. Considering not tying the knot? Now what? Today there seems to be a general trend towards peeps deciding not to get married, in the legal sense. Maybe that's where all the commitment issues stem from. Lol. The question I've been asked is, because you decide not to perform the legal act of getting married, do you have any protection afforded to you by the law? So, the law treats same-sex life partners and certain customary marriages differently to heterosexual life partners. Over the next few episodes, I'll speak about the legal protections afforded to both same-sex life partners and heterosexual life partners. I'll speak about the law as it currently stands, but I'll also speak to you about recent developments. For instance, there's been a major shift this year regarding heterosexual life partners and their eligibility to inherit. I'm just going to chat about this case and the legal consequences that emanate from it. So let's talk about the concept of a life partnership, also called a common law relationship, a cohabitation relationship, a partnership, or a domestic relationship. So what is a life partnership, and what does it actually mean? Well, technically, in law, there's no such thing. This is just a thing that exists but has never been given a legal definition. It's been defined here or there in case law, but it's always in relation to a marriage. So it's a bit of a weird concept. Peeps are trying to equate a life partnership to a marriage, but in reality and in law, it isn't. There's also this myth that if an unmarried couple has lived together in a permanent relationship for several years, they are married in terms of the common law and have a common law marriage. This is wrong. People who have lived together forever without any sort of agreement in place do not have any recognition in terms of the law and as such do not have any legal protection. Our courts have loosely stated that this can be termed as two people living together in an intimate relationship without entering into the institution of marriage. Even in the most recent case on life partnerships in the Western Cape High Court, the judge described a life partnership as a relationship with a reciprocal duty of support akin to that of marriage. You see, the definitions are always in relation to marriage. Peeps love a marriage. In South Africa, there are only three ways to get legally married. And at the moment, these are the only marriages that are recognized. You can get married in terms of the Marriage Act. This regulates a marriage between heterosexual couples. You can also get married in terms of the Civil Union Act, which regulates civil unions between same-sex couples. Finally, there's the Recognition of Customary Marriage Act, which regulates African customary marriages. So marriage in terms of the above has the full protection of the law. As I said previously, the law differentiates between couples who decide to spend their lives together, but do not get married. The judiciary and the legislature have most definitely in the past advocated for heterosexual couples to get married. 
An example of this is that we've had the draft domestic partnerships bill in Parliament for some time, but the legislature has failed to make it law. Peeps have been waiting around since 2008 for things to be set in motion. This bill tries to regulate domestic partnerships without actually defining them and requires them to be registered, which seems to be one of the reasons why people don't want to be married in the first place. So in my opinion, it's a bit strange. The judiciary seems to be coming to the party and making some changes. One of the reasons is because of the inequality that can result. This is especially regarding women because of the space we have historically occupied and often still do in society. Okay, so let's see what this is all about. Peeps, be prepared to be like, oh wow, the state really does like marriage. I mean, I like a wedding as much as the next person, but this can be a lot. So what does the law afford married peeps that it doesn't afford life partners? Well, remember the marriage regimes I've been harping on for the last two episodes? If you don't get married in the three ways I mentioned previously, none of these regimes apply to you. You cannot have an ANC registered at the deeds office and the default regime doesn't apply. So how does one mitigate the possible consequences of this? Well, it is possible to conclude a contract. This contract is often called a cohabitation agreement, but it can also be called a partnership or life partnership agreement or domestic partnership agreement. At the end of the day, no matter the name, it all does the same thing. It aims to regulate the financial consequences during the relationship as well as upon the termination of it. So you're thinking that this sounds pretty legit, right? Well, it's okay. A marriage contract is different in that it operates by virtue of law. A normal contract, although a legally binding document, can be costly to enforce. The reality is that often, when signing these contracts, there can be an element of duress. You also can't see into the future and don't know where you'll find yourselves. Basically, they aren't as airtight as an ANC because a judge can only stick to the four corners of the contract, whereas with an ANC, it all unbundles ex lege. This is a fancy word for by operation of law. So when it comes to the end of a domestic partnership, parties have to rely on the ill-suited remedies in contract law, which isn't really ideal for family and personal related matters. The result of this is that often, and in order to overcome the hurdles of contract law, which is often very formalistic and antiquated, one party may rely on the concept of a partnership, which is more commercial in nature. Life partners often enter into partnership or joint venture agreements, which expressly regulate their respective contributions to their relationships and perhaps any ventures entered into, like the buying of a home or starting of a business. The requirements of a partnership are that you intend to make a profit, you contribute equally, the benefit is for both parties, and it's a written contract which is legitimate. Even if no contract has been signed, courts have been willing to impute something called a universal partnership on the relationship. This even so that there is no express contract setting out the terms of the agreement. 
Similarly, the requirements are that the aim of the partnership is to make a profit, both parties contribute, the partnership is for the benefit of both parties, and a universal partnership came into existence. Although this provides a glimmer of hope, it still requires extensive litigation, and the party that alleges needs to prove all the elements listed above. It really is an imperfect solution, and the universal partnership is more often than not relied on as a last, last resort. Hopefully I haven't scared you off and you're still listening. So now we're going to chat about buying property when you're in a life partnership agreement. If you're married, the purchase of property is regulated according to your anti-nuptial contract. If you're married in community of property, i.e. the default regime, the property falls into the joint estate. If you're married out of community of property, whoever purchases the property is the full and sole owner. If you're married out of community of property, subject to accrual, and the property was purchased during the course of the marriage, this would be included in the accrual calculation. If none of this makes sense, you need to go and listen to my last two episodes. If you're not married, you will need to be proactive in regulating ownership, as cohabitation doesn't per se give rise to property rights. So if you just live there, it ain't yours. Should you wish to purchase property jointly, you would need to sign a contract expressly stating how you will acquire the property, how the costs will be shared, your ownership proportion, payment of the running costs, and how things will pan out when the relationship ends or should you decide to sell the property. It doesn't really matter what one calls this contract, so long as it covers all the bases. It can be a joint ownership agreement, form part of the party's cohabitation or life partnership agreement. It can also be in a more commercial document, such as a partnership or joint venture agreement. The consequences is that each party will be a 50% owner and liable for 50% of all their expenses. An issue that often arises pertains to bonds. If each party is a 50% owner and they have registered a bond over the property, they are joint and severally liable for all bond repayments, meaning that if one party fails to pay, i.e. defaults, a court can get judgment for the outstanding amount against both parties or force a sale of the property. It's interesting to note that should you own a property jointly, you can never be forced to remain in ownership. Should the other party refuse to sell, you can apply to court for the dissolution of the co-ownership, as well as for any claims one may have for covering the other party's 50% of the expenses, should no contribution have been made during the course of the relationship. This is called unjustified enrichment, i.e. the person got a benefit but didn't pay. Similarly, if one party is the owner and the other party merely lives in the building but has made substantial contributions to the running costs or to renovations, for instance, the cohabitating party can again do an unjustified enrichment claim as the other party has benefited. Also, if you don't have any sort of agreement in place and you don't own the property, there is the risk of eviction. 
on that somber note, I'm done for the week. Next time, I'll be speaking to you about maintenance and deceased estates. This is where you'll see the major difference between how the law treats same-sex couples and heterosexual life partners. And I'll chat to you about the interesting case law. Toodles! Thanks for listening to Flawed. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a review, follow us on Insta and DM me all your legal cues. And who knows, maybe it'll appear on an episode. Please note that this podcast doesn't constitute legal advice. And should you have a legal issue and require assistance, you would need to approach a legal practitioner who can help you with a specific area of law.